Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. So we're almost ready to finish up a series called Not on the Sidelines. We have one more installment next week, and we've been talking this in this series about the power gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12. And the thesis statement for our whole series has been this, that spiritual gifts are a major way, not the only way, but a major way God wants to make himself tangibly known among us. Again, certainly they are not the only way, but they are a prominent, powerful way that God does show up. And inherent in our title, not on the sidelines, is this, that Paul tells us multiple times, uh, the verse that's going to be on the screen is from 1 Corinthians 14, to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And he says, especially prophecy. So he wants all of us to experience this, all of us to be a part of this element of being operating in the spiritual gifts. But, but many of us know from personal experience and from stories that spiritual gifts in the church can and all too often do get maybe a little weird, confusing, sometimes even crazy. For some, the idea of encouraging spiritual gifts makes us feel nervous even. Uh, and it results in some questions, questions that I've heard, questions like, is it wise to encourage people who aren't very biblically astute or maybe new to the faith to practice spiritual gifts. I mean, some people would say that seems dangerous. It seems like you're asking for problems when you do that. And then the question extends from there that should we encourage children and youth to learn to exercise spiritual gifts? And yet we see God working in the Bible through children in these very spiritual gifts. I mean, in the Old Testament, you see the prophet Samuel as a very, very young child being used in prophecy. And, and in the New Testament, in Acts 21, you see Philip's four unmarried daughters who were almost certainly teen and younger in age being recognized as having been used by God regularly in this gift of prophecy. So how do we respond to the weirdness that we all know happens and the questions of this being manipulative or dangerous. And I think as a church, and and since you and I are the church, you and I as people tend to have polarizing reactions to this topic. We tend to take one of two choices, usually. We take this choice sometimes where where we want to do very little with it. In fact, some want to just walk away from this whole topic altogether. Uh, at best, reserving the exercise of the spiritual gifts for just the very most mature, a very small number of people. Or, so much for, on the other hand, the other reaction some of us have is that we get so much for this topic, we believe in it so much that it becomes the central point of practically everything we do and everything we talk about. And oftentimes, it can become, when we do that, weird and a little unhealthy, manipulative, even guilt-inducing. Yet there is a radical, uncompromising middle way. You see, if we reject releasing or pursuing these kinds of gifts because of the concern of the baggage or the abuses that we've seen in the past, we actually disobey Scripture because we start to choose not to eagerly desire the gifts as Scripture tells us to. 
And for that matter, we ignore a major reason why Paul wrote this letter of 1 Corinthians in the first place in the Bible, and we might as well just tear part of it out and throw it away. Often, when we react to this topic by wanting to avoid it, avoid the problems, avoid the, in, encouraging people to grow in this because of concern for those problems, we find ourselves asking the wrong question as a primary question. We find ourselves asking this question, how do we prevent and avoid hurt and manipulation and problems with this? That's a reasonable question, but it's not the best primary question. There's a better primary question, and that is, how do we help immature people, people who are inexperienced with this, practice and learn to hear God's voice and minister in the gifts in a healthy way? You see, avoiding this topic is one way we sometimes choose to deal with it, and it's less than obedient to Scripture. On the other hand, when spiritual gifts happen and someone of, some of us encounter God's Spirit in such a powerful and amazing way, it's easy for us to become enamored with spiritual gifts and begin thinking that this is the end-all, be-all answer to everything, pretty much, to our own physical healing, to our own emotional healing. We almost start treating spiritual gifts as a magic bullet, in a sense. We easily fall trapped. To the, we easily fall in the trap of these spiritual gifts that they are the answer to church growth, and they are the answer to our loved ones coming to faith. And when we fall into that trap, we also neglect a whole section of insight that is given to us in the Scripture, and we often fail to be obedient to Scripture, especially in some of the ways we're going to talk about today and putting some healthy boundaries around us to keep it safe. You see, there is a no-compromise middle ground that is the focus today of, of this message, that if we learn to do this, we learn to allow then spiritual gifts to be both eagerly desired and expressed in a healthy way within an environment that allows it to be safe for us to fail as we're learning or even fail after we've learned because we are all imperfect. So let's start again in 1 Corinthians 12 today. And today we're going to focus on one of the spiritual gifts listed there that's called the distinguishing between spirits or more commonly referred to as discerning of spirits. Now oftentimes discernment is thought of as an intellectual process of analysis and application of principles to come to a logical conclusion to solve a problem or to figure out something we need to figure out, right? But this gift that we're going to talk about today is more than that. It includes that, but it's more than that. Through the gift of discernment, though the gift of discernment is not worded in the exact same way elsewhere in the New Testament, we find every single book in the Bible in some way, sometimes multiple times, talking to us about our need to seek discernment from the Holy Spirit so that we don't fall into error. We don't get taken by a slightly off type of thinking and end up in corruption. It's a critical need in the church of Paul's day and in the individual lives of people that day, and it is equally critical for us today to understand this. So this term, discerning of, of, of spirits, it's actually a, a translation of a compound Greek word called, it's called diakresis. It's the idea of seeing through something to judge it. It's the ability to discern an inner reality and not just see the surface. It's the ability to distinguish, to see through something so that you're not taken by someone and instead you discern the truth and you live in the truth of what God wants you to be about in this time and this situation. 
And the word spirit is actually plural. It's spirits. So this concept throughout Scripture is that you are discerning whether the spirit or influence behind a statement or a person's influence or advice or a situation that you're faced is God's spirit or is it human? Is it just somebody's motivation and their own desire and their own understanding? Or is it demonic? Now, we would at first think that this should be a no-brainer and kind of easy, and a lot of times it is. But oftentimes it requires prayer to ask God for this gift of discerning of spirits. Now, we talked about this example several weeks ago, so we're just going to quickly review it and then apply it in this context. Paul, we see in Acts 21, he receives a prophecy from this guy named Agabus. And the prophecy is this, that he says if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound and arrested. Now, many of the leaders of Antioch are with him there, and, and, and they all hear this prophecy, and they start to plead with Paul, saying, don't go to Jerusalem, right? And that seems like the loving, right thing to do. I mean, doesn't it? I mean, if you had a friend or you had a child who was headed somewhere to the Middle East, maybe, you know, Lebanon or, 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 or Jordan or something like that, and they got a prophetic word beforehand that if they went there, they were going to be kidnapped by ISIS, I mean, what are you going to say as a friend, Right? You're going to say, don't go. I mean, it's completely logical. But Paul discerned in this moment that while the word from Agabus was a word from God, it was a true prophecy, he discerned that the spirit of the pleas of the people saying, please don't go, were of human origin, and it wasn't God speaking through them. Sometimes we also see this human spirit orientation come out in when people are frustrated. And especially if you are in a position where they think you can be a representative to bring change to their frustrations. I remember talking with a friend years ago, and he was in a setting where his boss was making a bunch of decisions that were causing setbacks in the business. And it was really difficult. It was conflicted. And, and a bunch of his friends who were working with him came to him and said, "If you just, would you just be the one to be our voice? Would you be the one who would stand up and bring this out into the open so we can actually talk about this? Because they said, they, they looked at him and they said, you have the leadership and understanding to lead this better. And you also have the relational capital and the trust of the boss to be the one to bring this up publicly and deal with it. Now, there were a few of them who wanted him to lead a rebellion and overthrow his boss and become a leader. But most of them just trusted his relational capital with the boss, and they wanted him to help everybody be heard to deal with this problem openly. And the compliments, frankly, made him feel really good. I mean, it felt really good to be recognized by all of his co-workers that he had that kind of authority with them and with his boss, and it was true that he did. But after prayer and asking God for a gift of discernment, he, he determined that what he was actually hearing from them was not God giving him direction. It was their human spirit re reacting out of their discontent. And what he did sense God saying to him was he said, don't make this a public political thing. Don't deal with this in a big group public setting. Just be quiet, be faithful, do your job, respect your boss, and have patience with your boss. And in the end, God ended up blessing him to bring positive change, the same kind of change everybody wanted him to do through the other means. Now, the reality is, honestly, in that situation, it could have been right for him to go to his boss and have a group meeting and facilitate that. He had the leadership ability. He had the relational capital. That could have been a right choice. 
So how do you know what's the right advice and the wisdom to follow in a given situation? Which is God speaking to you, maybe even through other people, and which is just of human origin and human thought? We need to ask for this gift of discernment of spirits from God so we know that we're being led by Him instead of just being led by wise ideas and people's ideas in situations. Asking for this gift can be as simple as this. It can be a simple prayer that Wendy and I pray on a regular basis. Of God, show us the hidden things. Show us the motive of this situation. Help us to discern your path through this whole thing that's going on and the truth of what you're up to in this moment. As uh, our kids were growing up, Wendy used to get together with a whole bunch of other parents and, and, and moms, and they would pray for the ki- all of our kids, and they would pray for our schools. And one of the things they would pray very often is this prayer about, God, would you reveal the hidden things? I mean, one of the moms would come to the group and they'd say, you know, something just doesn't seem right. But they couldn't put their finger on it. There was something off with one of their kids. And so they would just pray, Lord, let the hidden things come to light. And invariably, within the next few days, a teacher would call or a principal would call or the child would leave a note out or they'd overhear a conversation between some other people or they'd have a conversation with their child that would just happen to allow this stuff to come out in the open. God is so faithful to answer that prayer and help them through their struggles. See, God's ability to bring out hidden things in that instance reminded Wendy of growing up in a small town. You ever live in a small town where you can't get by with anything because everybody sees and everybody talks? I mean, that's, that's kind of what this gift of discernment that God gives sometimes is for us, especially as parents. Praying for discernment is praying to see through things, to see clearly. And God loves to give that gift to us. We see another example of this in Acts 16. In this instance, it's an example of demonic masquerading as a good thing. So the account is written from a 2020 hindsight perspective, but it reads like this. It says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Now, given the way this text is written, I strongly suspect, I can't say this 100%, but I strongly suspect that Paul initially didn't really know the full background of this girl and what was going on, and it took him a while to figure out where she'd come from and who she was and what was actually going on. Because the text notes that it took several days for Paul to discern this and figure out what was going on. And I think it was harder in Paul's situation because this girl was prophesying and saying something that was true, and it was good. I mean, if you were a missionary going into a new town, wouldn't you love it if someone in that community who everybody went to for spiritual advice came to you and followed you around saying, these guys, these people are from God, and they're telling you truth about how to be saved. I mean, that's pretty good, right? We'd all want that. But the text goes on and says, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. 
See, demonic influence around us is not just what we see in the horror movies, those horror moments we see in the movies. It, uh, so often it, it sounds reasonable. It sounds supportive, even wise, even religious, right? Masquerading as spirits of light. While in Tulsa this past week, we had the privilege of uh, reconnecting with some really good friends of ours that we hadn't been able to see for 15 years. They were actually dropping their girl off at ORU uh, and, uh, at the same time, and she's a first-year person there. And we, it was fun. We found out she's going to be the same major as Elise, and they have a class together. And so it was really kind of cool because they didn't, our kids didn't know each other before this uh, because it had been so many years. Years ago, God was giving a gift of discernment to Mark and Wendy, my wife. Uh, we were all on staff together at a church. And we had a new worker, co-worker coming on staff, a highly respected young new minister from the area. He had led an outreach ministry of a university where he had mobilized over 4,000 students for several times a year to go out into the community and do all sorts of great, wonderful, mission-oriented things. Mark had this really bad feeling about him and just didn't feel like it was going to be a good thing. And, and Wendy, who was heading the counseling center at the time, just... Whenever she was around him, she couldn't look at his hands without getting just a, a disgust feeling inside of her. And it, she, it was just this weird, you know. And, and Mark and Wendy at the time didn't really talk about this. Later years they talked about it, but they didn't talk about their feelings because both of them were trying to figure out uh, what is, what's going on here. What, where, what's the origin of these feelings? Is this, is this just personal baggage? that I have, that he reminds me of somebody in the past that I had problems with or something like that? Or or was this from God? Was it something negative, like a demonic influence going on? We we felt like there was something real to it. And so we prayed about it and asked for the hidden things to be revealed. And and with with this gift of discernment, you have to be really, really careful with it. Just really careful with it because it is so easy, especially with this gift, for us to have our own insecurity, our own feelings, our own relational baggage get involved in this and project it on a situation and believe it's God when it's not. So it's really wise to test all of this, but it's especially wise to test these things. And and the reality is God not only is the one who gifts us with discernment, If he gifts us with discernment and it's real, he's also going to be the one, if we let him, who will unfold verification that what we have experienced is indeed from him and true. And as I said, the sense of discernment seemed to be real for us, but we couldn't figure it out, so we prayed for the hidden things to be revealed, and and they were. We found out uh, a while later that he was sexually abusing his child and sexually abusing a couple of his littles who he had adopted through the Big Brother program, and he's still serving a 25-year prison sentence for it. Right now, some of you may be thinking back to times when you had that kind of a gut-level instinct going on, a sense that something wasn't right. You couldn't fully put your finger on it. You just didn't know, but eventually... Eventually, your gut was proven to be right, and hidden things were revealed. Many times, not all the time, but many times, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit, this discerning of spirits, this discerning of spirits that knows how to know when it's God and when it's not, when it's good and when it's evil, when it's God's presence and truth in it in this direction or this situation or this advice versus just someone else's, whether it's human or demonic. Certainly, there's a certain amount of this discernment that is something that naturally grows and is resident with us. 
I mean, that's also part of the Bible. The truth of the Bible is something that when we learn it and we learn the wisdom of how to apply the truth of the Bible, the life situations, we naturally grow in the ability to discern and see right from wrong and truth from error and and see through things, right? But there are always those things in life where we can't know or it's harder to know with confidence without the Holy Spirit giving us a gift of discernment that goes beyond our own intellectual ability. Jesus talks about this need for discernment as well. Uh, In a passage where he's talking about the final judgment, when he returns and sets everything right at the end of time, and Jesus says this, uh, as Jesus talks about this, he's also framing for us, I think, two really important lessons we're going to talk about next. Uh, even as we eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It's in Matthew 7, and Jesus says this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the first most important lesson of what Jesus is saying there that applies to us today is this, and it's a repetition of something we touched on a few weeks ago. It's the primacy of Scripture. Jesus, God himself says, anyone who puts these words, puts these words of Scripture into practice will live his or her life on a rock-solid foundation. And he goes on to say that not doing these words, not putting them in the practice, leaves our lives on a foundation built of sand, leaving us vulnerable to pain and destruction. See, the most important thing in keeping the gifts of the Spirit healthy is to realize that a gift of discernment or a gift of prophecy or knowledge or wisdom or any of the other spiritual gifts will never, ever contradict Scripture. In fact, the spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of leading us to obedience to Jesus and what Scripture teaches us is the way he wants us to live an abundant life, the best kind of life. There's another lesson in this that Jesus gives us, and that's this. Spiritual gifts operating through someone are not reliable indicators of spiritual or personal maturity. Now, certainly, the more mature you become, the more you become fully aware of how God thinks through the Bible and you grow in your character and you grow in your own ability to be free like God wants us to be, the more frequently God can give you spiritual gifts for other people. And he will because he can trust you to deliver them well, right? But notice in the text that Jesus doesn't challenge saying these prophecies were false. He doesn't challenge saying the healings were fake. And it's because of this. Spiritual gifts are given as a way of helping, trying to lead us to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and follow his leading in our life. And God can and often does grace us with these kinds of gifts as a way to promote that in our lives. But it doesn't mean the person is a mature follower of God because they're receiving this. And it doesn't necessarily mean that person's going to follow him the rest of their life or is even solidly committed. Yet it doesn't necessarily mean that person should even be a role model for us in other areas 
of their lives for us. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had Tim and Jared and Jeremy up on stage sharing uh, how God had given Tim some words of knowledge and words of wisdom that for Jared in one specific situation and Jeremy and Alexis in another. And in both of those instances, there was a little bit of this wow factor going on for Jeremy and Alexis and, and, and Jared because God was speaking through Tim to them in such specific ways to the ways he had been talking to them into such specific terms, uh, 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 circumstances into their lives that Tim could not have known those things without God showing him. In fact, even in that moment, I would say that Tim didn't know how profound what he was saying was as he was sharing it, which is actually often the case with spiritual gifts. God gives us a picture or he gives us a phrase or a word, and it, and, and we don't even know how specific it is to the thoughts of what God has already been doing and the situation of what God's already doing in that person's life. We don't know how profound it is until we share it, and that person comes back and says, wow, I was just thinking about that right earlier today, and you use the exact same words God spoke to me about. You know, it's that kind of thing. And Tim loves God and is growing and would never want to share something that was mixed up with his own stuff or wrong. And But the reality is whether it's Tim or whether it's me or whether it's any one of us, what did we read in First Corinthians a few weeks ago about another healthy reminder? We read this. We said, we see in part, Corinthians says, and we know in part. One of the ways that abuse and corruption happens in churches around the exercise of spiritual gifts is not getting this peace solid in our lives. So think about it, especially when some, somebody comes to you and they're, they're so right, maybe several times, they, they, God gives them a picture or something or, or a word that is so right for you, it's so easy for you to become enamored with that person. And then you start to think, well, the next time they come to you, it's that person, right? Uh, So when they share something again, you automatically receive it as pure gold. And the reality, it might just be a lump of clay. Or at best, a lump of clay with a little fleck of gold you've got to go searching for in it somewhere, right? Paul stresses this point over and over again about testing everything. We've talked about it, how he talks about that in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, but he also says it in 1 Thessalonians 5. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says it this way. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, with disdain, with distrust, with cynical skepticism. He says, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. And reject every kind of evil. Again, running from this kind of spiritual experience because it's been abusive in the past or been painful in the past or we've seen manipulation with it or corruption in the past or is not the answer. Paul says that is quenching the spirit when we treat prophecies with contempt, when we distrust the gift because it comes through imperfect immature, even impure people. But he says, test all of them. He says, sift them. Hold on to that which is good and throw the rest of it away. When we experience the power of God working through us in that way a number of times, especially we not only struggle with forgetting to test and having too much admiration for someone, but we also tend to make it formulaic. And that's the next lesson. Don't do that. 
See, the Jews in Jesus' day had a problem with making things formulaic too. I think we all do. I think it's human nature. And they had this formula that when disaster happens, it happens to somebody because of sin in their life. And in some circumstances, that's that's true. That's the case. Sin does bring destruction and pain, whether it's right away or later on, it, it does bring that. But they're talking to Jesus about this formula one day and then questioning Jesus in regard to this disaster that had recently happened where a tower in Siloam found in Luke 13, the story, had fallen on some people and killed them. And Jesus responds to their question about that formula and says, no, that formula doesn't apply here. That accident wasn't because of their sin. The early church and people who were around the early church struggled with this as well. We see this one around the Apostle Paul and his casting out demons in Jesus' name. There were some Jewish leaders who were not really convinced yet, but not really totally anti-Christian either yet. But they they saw Paul having success seeing demons cast out in Jesus' name. And so they said, well, they wanted more effectiveness. They wanted more respect. So they said, well, that's the formula. We just got to say in Jesus' name. And get better results. So they go into a, 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 a session where they're praying for somebody to cast out a demon. And they go say, go in Jesus' name. And, and, and in Acts 19, if you read it later today, you'll see this. Uh, the demon answers and says, Jesus I know. Paul I know. But I don't know you. And the result of it isn't a great result. You can read that later today. So as you experience spiritual gifts... This is a trap we can easily fall into. And maybe this will relate even more to you and I where we're at today. You may be praying someday. And out of the blue, your completely healthy knee that you've never had any problems with ever has this pain in it. And you realize that God is trying to tell you that there's someone here with a pain in their knee that God wants to touch and heal. And sometimes God does use our physical senses in different ways to communicate with us, right? But the problem is... We turn that into a formula. So then all of a sudden, every time we have a phantom pain somewhere in our body, we think God is communicating that he wants to heal somebody in that area of the body, and we just, you know, it just becomes this formula. Or uh, someone has a dream, and uh, the dream is that they feel like it's from God, and it's of them swimming in a river and, uh, of water, and, and, and the interpretation for them is that God is doing a cleansing work and an empowering work in them uh, in a specific situation that was also represented in another part of the dream. And, and so from then on, when anybody else has a dream of them swimming in a river of water, they automatically say that's the interpretation, right? We create these formulas. And there are some recurring patterns in the Bible and in personal experience how God does speak through images. But but those often recurring themes, we have to get the key. It's often recurring, not always. And we need to take each and every opportunity that God does something or speaks to us through a gift of the Spirit, and we need to learn to listen We need to learn to probe it, and we need to let God be the one who defines it for the person instead of automatically putting our definitions upon that situation in a strong way. We'll have fewer problems that way because we too often put God in boxes with our formulas, and it ends up hurting other people, oftentimes unintentionally. The gifts of the Spirit originate, these gifts of the Spirit originate with God. God gives them. We need to be careful to let him interpret them as they're given to other people, not us. Finally, one of the most powerful lessons I think we need to settle 
And that's in this phrase, the kingdom of God is now and not yet. We've talked about this in the past. This has to do with the reality of the world in which we live right now and what we're still waiting for God to finish and complete that's not completed in our current reality of life now. We've talked about it from a scriptural basis in the past. I don't have time to go through the whole and restate the whole scriptural basis, so I'm just going to quickly define it, and then we're going to spend time applying it to our particular discussion today. The Bible teaches that Jesus completed the work of forgiveness. He secured defeat of death through his work on the cross and resurrection, and he gave us and secured the path to restore us to right relationship with God. Jesus also preached that the kingdom of God is breaking into our reality, and he told us and taught us that some of that breaking in is the actual experience of the signs that we're talking about in this series being something we experience as evidences of the kingdom activity among us. But Jesus also taught that everything was not completely set right yet. The effects of sin on the human body and the brokenness of creation are not yet fully restored. So sickness is still a part of the world, as are natural disasters, Jesus says, and things generally not always working right. And he says everything will not be fully resolved and set right until Jesus returns again at the end of time. Paul furthers this idea in Ephesians 1 when he says the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing this final resolution. It's a deposit. It's not the whole shooting match. It's part of it. And Jesus tells us to pray in the Lord's Prayer for his kingdom to break in so that his will will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. So we have this now. There is activity of the kingdom of God now among us, breaking in among us, hope and power beyond us of God becoming tangible among us now. And there's also the not yet, but it won't be perfect in breaking in among us until then. And the first Corinthians says, for now we see in part, but then it goes on to actually say, In the future, then, we will know fully, even as we are fully known. See, one of the corruptions of spiritual gifts often often happens through a theology that is called kingdom now theology, as distinct from kingdom now and not yet. I'm not saying the kingdom now people are heretics. They're far from it. They're true believers in Jesus. They're true Christians. But that's not the issue, okay? The kingdom now theology teaches this, that Jesus completed the work, and we can have and should have all of it now. So if you believe everyone can and should be healed now, then when someone's not healed, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Kingdom Now theology raises two really tough questions when healing doesn't happen or when another spiritual gift doesn't resolve things as we think it should. It raises the questions, why not, and who's to blame when it doesn't happen? Well, even though we know this is intellectually not sound, especially if we're caught up in this theology, we tend to start to get angry and blame God because he gave it all now, so why is he not keeping his promise? Or, since we don't go there very long because we realize it doesn't make sense, 
we end up going back to, well, I'm the one to blame. It's all my fault. I don't have enough faith. There must be sin unrepented of that's in a barrier. Or it's the fault of the person I'm praying for. They don't have enough faith or there's unresolved sin in their lives. And, and there is no other option or recourse than those options to lay guilt or lay blame somewhere and demand better human performance. Because you see, kingdom now theology says you will be healed and you will be, you will be blessed and at peace and live an abundant life now if you simply do a better job of doing blank, whatever that is, right? So healing and prophecy and spiritual gifts become really more all about me and my faith and performance and less about God. Kingdom Now theology is held by many people, and a lot of people don't even realize they're holding a Kingdom Now theology because they haven't studied that much, and it imposes, and, and, and a few of them try to impose these healthy thing, unhealthy things on other people, but Kingdom Now theology naturally leads to these conclusions that faith becomes about performance. It becomes about how perfectly we speak the right things and how perfectly we believe the right things without any imperfection or hesitancy or doubt in our thoughts or our words. Rather than faith simply being about being real with Jesus and trusting his goodness. Kingdom Now theology prevents us from dealing with pain well because it leads to a denial of reality. It puts all the pain of the world in the category of something that should be able to be made to go away if we have enough faith. So pain's presence indicates we're not good enough yet, right? And it doesn't allow us to deal with the pain of sickness and loss and all that stuff well because if we are good followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be dealing with this, right? On the other hand, kingdom now and not yet theology pursues healing and God's good while realizing we still live in a reality of a world that is still broken and isn't yet fully fixed and won't be fully fixed for a time. See, it's not passive. We're not saying only not yet, right? No, each day we get up with this expectation that maybe the sun is going to break through the clouds today and we're going to see the kingdom of God break through into our everyday existence in power today. So we get sick and we face divorce and all sorts of other pain and it frees us to mourn because it is a reality. And it frees us to face that pain because it is a reality of the world we live in. And yet we at the same time never give up pursuing something more because we also know God's kingdom is going to break in among us. But we ultimately know that we have to look forward to that day in the future when everything will be resolved and finished. And we look forward to that with joy and it allows us the freedom to trust God's goodness in the process. Because we don't need to blame God for not keeping his promise. And we don't need to put all the blame on our shoulders for not having enough faith or not being good enough. And we don't need to put all the blame on someone else's shoulders for not being good enough or not having enough faith. See, when we understand the time we live in, this now and not yet time, it brings freedom to us to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts without 
pressure to be free to live in peace and joy and even in the mystery of a situation that's difficult not being resolved like we want we can still in that moment trust God's goodness and we're free to keep pursuing and keep praying for healing and other spiritual gifts and prophecy even when they don't happen in the way we want or in the time we want or in when we want or even if they don't happen at all. You see, that radical, uncompromising middle ground is where God wants us to live in this regard. To not be afraid, to not reject spiritual gifts because of our bad experiences, which are very real, and the fear of abuse. Nor to make spiritual gifts the be-all, end-all solution to everything in life. Rather, to just simply be free, to eagerly desire to learn to test things, to throw the bad out and to keep the good, and to enjoy seeing God's presence and power break in among us. So for some of you, you may have been uncomfortable with this whole series because it brings up, frankly, some maybe scary experiences from your past, some fears about being out of control or weird or abusive or touches of fear that you've had from an experience. God is inviting you to not let go of eagerly desiring the gifts, but rather he's inviting you to let go of of being afraid of them, to learn to test them, to be comfortable giving grace to others even when they make a mistake, realizing someone might give you gold today and they might give you a lump of clay tomorrow and that's okay, you can sort it out and it's not a big deal. Because rightly understood, actually, these gifts of the Spirit are meant to be catalysts to us growing to maturity. So why would we want to cut off one of the major things God wants to use to grow us into maturity because we're afraid that it will be used wrongly in someone, right? We cut off so easily what God wants to use to grow us. I'm inviting you, and I believe God is inviting you, to make your primary question in all of this to be how do we create an environment here among us as the people of Quest to learn? I know knowing we're going to fail all too often to allow God's Spirit to give us spiritual gifts, to learn how He communicates and to eagerly desire and create an environment where we have the freedom to do that so that every one of us gets to experience this. Every one of us learns to play in hearing God and ministering God's goodness and His kingdom breaking into our lives. I've loved hearing some of the stories lately of how many of you are taking risks and some of you are taking risks and you've gotten it wrong. And at other times, you've taken risks and God has shown up in really powerful, beautiful ways. You see, if we don't take those risks to minister and grow in our ability to do that, not just to be able to use our own wisdom, but to allow God to give us power and wisdom that is beyond us. If we don't allow ourselves that, along with making the mistakes, then we miss so much of what God wants to do us. Do us. I've talked... To many of you who have had really horrible experiences with the misuse of spiritual gifts, I've talked to very few who have had worse experiences than I've had, just to be honest. And yet, for me personally, I would, in a heartbeat, take all those bad experiences I've had to be able to experience again all the amazing things I've experienced and seen God do through gifts used rightly and done well in healthy settings. 
For the rest of us, I think God is inviting us to let go of our formulas. And, and it's so easy, especially if you're used to God using you in the gifts, to become prideful, to become overconfident, and begin to tip into that place where you start to project your interpretation on people and your rightness on people. I think God's invitation is to just relax and remember you're fallible, but continue to stir up an eager desire for these gifts and to pursue hearing God better and working better with His power so that we can see Him show up in ways that some of the people we're praying for among our five who don't know Jesus or are far from church, that one day we'll be sitting with them at coffee and we'll pray and God will give us something in a phrase or a picture that He had already shown them and they'll sit there in that moment and say, God is real. And that you can, with your kids, pray for this hidden gift of discernment and God will reveal the things you need to know so you can parent your kids well because God wants us to have those kinds of things happening in our life. He wants us to be successful in representing Him and bringing His power into all those situations. So would you just join with me now as we head into worship and and just begin to pray and invite God to continue to do that. And Lord, we ask that for all of us, myself included, because I know I've got so much baggage from the past as well and bad experiences, that you would continue to wash those things away, that you would remove the barriers that we have to this. The fears that we have, that you'd take them away and you'd come by your Spirit and that you would teach us as a people, as individuals and as a people of quest to represent you really, really well, to allow the power of your Spirit to be among us so that our word and our message and our serving and our loving of each other and of this community becomes far more than just us alone. It becomes full of your power and your presence in a way that people can't just argue and say, that's Ross or that's Joe or that's Cindy or that's Wendy. They just say, that's God. So would you come and do that among us? And would you inhabit our worship right now in Jesus' name? Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.